0: Mark wanted me to um, let's let all of you know how much he misses and loves you, and um, he is doing better. Um, and you can talk with Jim and Janie. I think you were just over there this morning, right? And um, but he is doing better. The process is slow and healing. Um, nurse is coming by every couple of days or every other day, um, um, but he's um, improving, which is great. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. Um, Mark also told me that um, Mike and Sarah Rahaley, I I guess, I'm not sure if he still, they still attend or, um, do they still attend? Um, They lost their son. I don't know all the circumstances. Um, I don't know all that went on there, but um, we need to be uh, praying for them. And then also uh, Dick's brother, David, um, is not doing well again. he had a stroke. Um, I think um, he's on hospice care, and so and Dick is with his daughter and son-in-law in New York, and I'm not sure where his brother lives. Um, pardon me. Oh, Santa Barbara. Okay. So uh, I think um, another sister, I think, is there, and so uh, we need to be praying for them. So just before we look into God's word, let's just uh, pray real quick for those. Uh, Father, we do thank you. Thank you for the wonderful song we just sang. Um, your word is so important. It, um, it's something that we need. It's God-breathed. It's breathed out by you, written down by the men of old that you chose, and uh, they were born along by your spirit, Peter said, as they wrote, so that when the final writings were done, um, you could say through Paul to Timothy that your word is God-breathed. It comes directly from you, and so um, it's so valuable, so important for us to listen and to read and to obey and to rejoice in the many, many amazing truths in it, Father. So we pray as we look into your word today that um, you, by your spirit, would teach us. We do pray for uh, Dick's brother, David. Um, Dick asked that we pray that, um, that you would take him home soon, that he would not have to suffer Um, I don't know all of his um, things that he's going through. Um, Obviously, the stroke has been uh, very difficult on him, and we just pray, Father, that you give the doctors wisdom, give um, Dick's family wisdom as they need to make decisions, and we just pray, Father, that there would be um, comfort that comes from you. You're the God of all comfort, and so we pray, Father, that you would comfort him, and then for Mike and Sarah, Father, we pray, again, we don't know all the circumstances, but we pray for peace for them. We pray for comfort and encouragement. Um, we know that you're close to the broken heart of the psalmist said. Um, we pray, Father, they would sense your presence in a, a supernatural way, Father, a way that only you can do by your Spirit, and so we pray for them. Again, Father, we thank you that Mark is doing better, and we ask that you would um, just continue to minister to him and Jenny, and um, we look forward um, to the time when Mark and can rejoin us here, and um, we can rejoice. Again, uh, may your healing touch be on him. Father, uh, bless your word now as we look into it, we ask um, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you don't have notes, uh, they didn't have a bulletin, the paper didn't come in today, or... This week, So they weren't able to run a bulletin, but there were some notes there. Hopefully you picked them up and um, we want to look at that. So we're in um, the season of Advent. Um, we just l- lit the second candle. Um, the second candle is the candle of peace. The first one was the candle of hope. We looked at hope last week um, through Micah where Jesus was going to be born in, in the town of Bethlehem um today we're going to look at the theme of peace and so i picked um isaiah chapter nine verses six and seven last week i preached a half a verse uh today i'm going to do like a verse and a half so uh hold on because we may be here till three or so i don't know i'm just just kidding um so we're going to look at um i title it peace on earth goodwill uh towards men um the biblical Christmas story begins several hundred years before that night in Bethlehem. Uh, one of the Old Testament uh, one Old Testament prophecy after another promised the coming Messiah, uh, the anointed one who would redeem the people of God and bring peace. That's why the angels came and they said, "Peace on earth, goodwill towards men." The centerpiece of the Christmas prophecies is this Isaiah I know you're very familiar with that. Um, It was written nearly 600 years before uh, Jesus was born. Uh, Amazing. Um, All the details of the Old Testament prophecies and how Jesus fulfilled them, not only in his birth um, and um, even his death and resurrection and many of the things that um, surrounded his life, but the prophecies that we're going to see today um, are really even beyond that. Obviously, Jesus um, is in heaven now, uh, but there's a day he's going to return. He's going to set up his kingdom. And so um, that's what um, the prophet Isaiah looks at in these verses. Um, he All the details that um, were given um, out of all these prophecies are fulfilled in the person and in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the verses. We just read them. Um, For a child will be born to us, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we're going to look at this kind of in three parts. I tried to pick a Christmas song that would kind of um, give us an idea about what this each part is about. So this first one, what child is this? That's a, obviously a famous Christmas song. But notice in the verse, he says two things. The first two statements he makes um, for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us. The first one speaks about the Messiah's humanity. Notice he talks about a birth. He was going to be born. So it's talking about Jesus' humanity. Um, He began life like any other human. He was born just like everybody else was born. His conception was obviously different because Mary was a virgin, Um, but he was born like everybody else, like uh, as an infant, Um, The New Testament describes uh, Christ's humanity. We're all very familiar with the things that the New Testament says about Jesus growing up. He grew up just like every other child grew up. He had the same growth spurts. um, You know, he enjoyed eating and he enjoyed playing and all those kinds of things. So to show his humanity, he had a normal growth. And you can look at Luke 2.52. And he had all the physical needs... Um, that every human being has he was thirsty he was hungry he was tired he slept all those different kinds of things to show his humanity Um, we also know that christ experienced every temptation that was common to humanity so he was tempted just like we that's what the scripture says the difference is that he never sinned jesus never fell to temptation the the temptation that we see the most is when he was tempted by satan And we see those temptations, and he always answered Satan's temptations with quoting the Scriptures, and that's what we should be doing too, is that we think of the Scriptures when we're tempted to do something. We think of the truth of the Scriptures, and that's how we get out of that temptation. So Jesus, not only did he not sin, he could not sin. That's called his impeccability. That's that's not in your notes. That's free. That won't cost you anything. But if you want to write that down. So his impeccability is that not only he could be tempted, but he could not sin because he's the god man um, his deity would override any human thing and he didn't have a sin nature that's another part of his um, virgin birth he didn't have a sin nature but he was tempted just like we he, he felt everything kind of things that we felt disappointment all those kinds of different things um, he he would feel things that we felt he would hurt like we hurt um, he wept like we like wept over lazarus remember that Um, And in his death, he even felt the weight of sin um, as he took our sins on himself. And Isaiah 53, we're probably really familiar with that, but let me just read a little bit of that because it really shows how Jesus took our sin and our iniquities. So Isaiah says this, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot And like a root out of a parched ground. Notice he grew up. There shows his humanity. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And like the one whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs and and he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of god and afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastising for our well-being fell upon him and so on so we see that he felt even beyond what we feel about our sins he carried not only our sins but the sins of the whole world so we see that this first part what child is this is that he was a human being He was born just every other human being was born but he was also the son of god so isaiah says it this way for a child will be born to us and then he says and a son will be given to us that phrase there speaks of messiah's pre-existent deity in other words jesus is his human name but but who jesus is in his deity existed before bethlehem he existed as far as long as god has existed which is forever there's no beginning or end to god so he says that isaiah says a son will be given remind me of john three sixteen. for god so loved the world that he what gave his only begotten son god gave us his son in eternity past when the trinity was deciding what was going to happen the son the second person of the godhead He is the one who volunteered to die, to take our place and to die for our sins. Before he was given uh, as Israel's Messiah and our Savior, he came as the Son of God, God in a human body, to conquer sin and death forever. He's the perfect Son of God. He's the promise of the ages. He's the Holy One. He's the light of the world. He's the bread of life. All these names throughout the new testament and the old testament we see he's the great shepherd and in this context he's the soon and coming king of israel um it it, during this time when isaiah wrote israel was in disobedience um they were afraid of assyria they didn't even know but in the near future from when isaiah wrote babylon would take them into captivity that is judah the southern tribe um and so um What Isaiah is talking about here is that some distant future that the Messiah was going to come and then he's going to come and set up a kingdom. So we see what child is this? First, we see that he's the son of man or he has humanity and then he's also the son of God. Secondly, he shall reign forever and ever. The next thing that Isaiah says is, and the government, his government will rest on his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, etc. So this first thing, the government will rest on his shoulders, looks beyond obviously the first Christmas that, um, that we saw in Micah chapter 2 when he was born in Bethlehem, looking into the distant future, the prophetic future they call it, when Christ would reign over a literal earthly thousand-year kingdom, that encompasses all the kingdoms and governments of the world. And you can see in, in uh, Zechariah and also in Daniel, I'll read you the Daniel passage. Uh, it's just one verse. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will be, l- be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. You can see in Revelations chapter 20, talking about the kingdom that is a thousand years. Jesus is going to come in his second coming, and he's going to come to the earth, and he's going to set up a kingdom for a thousand years. That's what Revelations chapter 20 tells us. And that was um, the prophecies of all the Old Testament, declaring that the Messiah was going to come and set up a kingdom, and it was the kingdom that God promised to David. David and so david was a relative of jesus as it were um jesus uh, jesus is in the line of david he's in the seed of david we see in matthew um the genealogies that he's connected through that line so in that day the government of the whole world will rest on his shoulders during that thousand year reign uh, will rest on the shoulders of jesus because he's going to be reigning And he will reign as sovereign over the worldwide kingdom of righteousness and peace. It's amazing how many times peace is related to this kingdom. The Hebrew word for government means dominion or power or sovereignty through legal authority. Israel's Savior is to be a sovereign king who would rule on David's throne. Again, I put some verses there and you can look at those later. Isaiah continues the thought in verse 7 that the messiah's government and its peace again there's that word peace will never end he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne on his um of his ancestor david for all eternity the idea of government on his shoulders pictures royal authority you know when a king would wear a robe that was a picture of the royal authority that a king has well the government on jesus shoulders as it were pictures his royal authority. He's the king of that government. He's the king of the millennial kingdom. Hope, deliverance, and peace for God's people was established when Jesus died on the cross. Now he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews 2. The highest government in all creation with power to exercise absolute dominion over every being in heaven and on earth is on his shoulders for all of eternity. For he truly is what Revelation says about him King of kings and Lord of lords. So, the first thing we see, what Child is is we see that he was both human and he was God. He was the God man. The second thing we see is that he will reign forever um, because he's the King of kings and the government will be on his shoulder. He will be in charge, he will rule. And then, thirdly, we're going to see something about the character of this one that Isaiah was talking about. And I just entitled this section, O come, O come, Emmanuel. In Old Testament times, a name stood for a person's reputation, their fame, and their character. The word translated name in the Hebrew means a mark or a brand. Bible names often reveal much about the personality and character of. So the word Emmanuel, we all know, means God with us. Um, David's name meant beloved. Abraham meant father of a multitude. Jacob meant deceiver. And so all these biblical names, they all have, and they all fit the person who who has that name. The names that he's going to describe next, that Isaiah is going to describe next, all four of these next descriptions make up the Messiah's name. Notice it doesn't say names. He doesn't say the names of the Messiah. He says the name, singular, rather than, and it says name instead of names. And all of them describe some aspect of of Christ's character. So these are names that we're all familiar with. Um, The first one is Wonderful Counselor, gives us a little bit of idea of how Jesus is going to rule and how he's going to reign in the millennial kingdom. The Messiah's kingdom will be ruled with divine wisdom. The word wonderful means full of wonder, glorious, exceptional, astonishing, or extraordinary. During Jesus' um, incarnation, um, he demonstrated his wisdom in his teaching, in his discernment, and in his counsel. When people came to him, he always knew what to say. When to reach out to a seeking heart, when to rebuke a prideful soul. We see that all throughout the Gospels, how Jesus dealt with people, how he was kind to those who who cried out for mercy. Um, Those who were proud, he would confront them about that pride. When people came to him, he always knew exactly what to say. The testimony of those who heard him was, never have we a man spoken in the way that this man speaks jesus is the source of all truth that's why he has all wisdom also remember john fourteen six says that he is the way the truth and the life and through him is the only way to make sense of life's difficulties and confusion <laughs> i love this jesus is the counselor who knows everything that's why we can go to him he knows everything You're not going to someone when we pray, when we go to Christ for help, for encouragement, or whatever it might be. He knows everything. He knows our situation. He knows all the details. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly when we need it. He knows everything. And and this verse was amazing. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. He knows each one of us. He knows the needs of our heart. And he knows how to answer those needs. Jesus always knows what is going through, what we're going through, and he always knows the right course of action and help in time of need. That's what Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 calls him, our great high peer, priest. He's familiar with the kinds of things that we're going through because of, he was a human being also. And so when we can go to him, and the end of that verse says we can find help in time of need so jesus is the great counselor when jesus comes to set up his kingdom israel will say with isaiah his counsel is wonderful and his wisdom is great that's what isaiah said that the people would say that are in the millennial kingdom will say about the messiah so he's not only called wonderful counselor but he's also called mighty god The Messiah's kingdom will be ruled with divine authority. The word mighty relates to a king's leadership role. In Hebrew, the word means having or showing great power in authority or military leadership. It means heroic heroic or valiant. As Israel's mighty God, the Messiah will be a majestic and powerful leader Ruling over the kingdom like no other king before. Now, I mean, David was a great king. Hezekiah was a great king. They experienced great kings, but this is a king that is unlike any other king. The King, Lord Jesus. He's like no other king. For in us, Jesus, we, we have Jesus as a sovereign master who can forgive sin, liberate us from the power of evil, redeem us, answer our prayers, restore broken souls. He can reign over our redeemed lives. Though Jesus manifested divine power in his incarnation, he exhibited a different kind of leadership strength as it was done with much humility and obedience to his father. We can see that in Philippians chapter 2. And he took on the role and attitude of a servant. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to pay and die a ransom for many. He was a servant leader. This mighty God aspect of him, as described in Isaiah's prophecy, will be more fully on display at his second coming. He deals with, when he comes in his second coming, he deals with all the rebellion on the earth, and then everybody that goes into the millennial kingdom are people that are saved. Everybody else... um, at the judgment of the nations or the judgment of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 24, all those that are on his left, we're not talking about um, politics here, by the way, Um, all those that are on his left that don't believe in him, they go to hell immediately. Everybody else go into the kingdom. So everybody that goes into the millennial kingdom are people that are saved. And by the way, Not only will people that are alive that make it the tribulation go into the kingdom, but God's gonna raise up all the Old Testament saints, give them resurrected bodies, and they all go into the millennium because that's what God always promised them. He promised them land and a king. And so they're gonna experience those promises from the Old Testament when they go in. And we're gonna be there too, with raised bodies, with resurrected bodies. It's gonna be an amazing time when there's gonna be people with natural bodies that made it through the tribulation, that believed in Christ during that time, they go in, and then all of us who are Christians, we went in the rapture, we have a resurrected body, then God's going to resurrect all the Old Testament saints. So there's going to be resurrected people in the millennium, and there's going to be natural people in the millennium. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. So he's also called Eternal Father. The Messiah's kingdom will be ruled by a compassionate father slash shepherd. The Hebrew phrase translated eternal father could be translated literally father of eternity. Now, this is important. This is not a statement about the Trinity saying Jesus and the Father are one in the same, because they're not. Now, they're one in a lot of ways. They share the same nature, but we know that as hard as it is for us to understand— that God is three, and yet he's one. He's three persons sharing the same nature. And so Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are different persons, but they all share the same attributes. They all share the same characteristics. They all share the same deity. So it's not talking here to say that Jesus and the Father are the same person. What it's saying here is that The way that Jesus is going to rule is like a father would rule. So this is not a statement about the Trinity, saying Jesus and the Father are one and the same. The revelation concerning the Trinity in Isaiah's time had not been fully developed, so they didn't know a lot about the Trinity. There's not a lot about in the Old Testament about the Trinity. Um, You don't see the Father and the Son. You see God and you see the Spirit. But you don't see a lot about the person that we call the son. There's, there's indications about who he, who's there and who he is. Um, and he talks about this coming one. But there's not a lot of um, what we have in the New Testament, a lot of detail about the Trinity. So he's not really talking about the Trinity here. He's talking about how will this Messiah rule? He'll be like a father. Um, It's about how Messiah will rule like a father with strength, compassion, protection, righteousness, etc. Micah five two declares not only where the Messiah would be born, Bethlehem, but also this is the end part of Micah uh, chapter uh, five verse two. From the from you one will come forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. So, this Messiah is also an eternal being. And that's why we know that what happens is when Jesus was born, he's the Messiah. And so, his ruling is going to be like a father. He's not the father, but his ruling is going to be like the father. As the God-man, Jesus is uniquely qualified to rule as the rightful heir of david's throne he is the alpha and omega he's the first and the last he's the beginning and the end revelations 22 he is in complete and sovereign control the author of eternal salvation that's what Hebrews says about him and he guarantees that all things work together for good for all his kingdom subjects he's also the giver of eternal life so that's the eternal part of him all that description about him um, but the way he's going to rule will be like a father, okay? Thirdly, he's called the Prince of Peace. In Messiah's, or actually, fourthly, he's called the, the Prince of Peace. In the Messiah's kingdom, there will be no conflicts because he is the Prince of Peace. He's going to reign, and in the, in the millennium, there's going to be peace until the very end, and that's a whole different subject that we don't have time to look at today. But, He's going to reign, and there will be no conflicts. In the messianic kingdom, God will settle disputes between people and nations, Micah 4, 3. Armed conflicts will cease. This is what um, Isaiah said in chapter 2. They will beat their swords and plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore so that's all during the tribula i mean during the millennial kingdom there'll be no conflicts the bible speaks of the conditions of the kingdom as a perfect environment physically and spiritually here's some things that i just picked out that the bible says about what is it going to be like in the millennium in the the kingdom that jesus will be over first of all it's going to be a time of peace isaiah 32 it's going to be a time of great joy isaiah 61 it's going to be a time of comfort um, and since only believers will be entering the millennial kingdom it will be a time of obedience jeremiah says it'll be a time of holiness it'll be a time of truth and everybody will know about god during the millennial kingdom the the word for peace in the hebrews we're all, we're all familiar shalom we've all heard that before um they still use that a lot jewish people still use that a lot Uh, shalom represents life as god intended it it's the completeness and wholesomeness of life the messianic messianic kingdom is the embodiment of god's shalom where the sick are healed sins are forgiven people live at peace with one another Everything is restored to its proper state. This is all happening during the Millennial Kingdom. Shalom represents life as it was intended in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned against God. For, for us as Christians, we so often hear at Christmas, at the beginning of Jesus' earthly life, it was heralded by angels who pronounced peace on earth. Here's the verses we're very familiar with. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The ones that he's pleased with are the ones that received his gift of salvation. This was not just about peace on the earth, but peace towards men and women. It was a proclamation that God's peace is available to men and women. That's what Jesus was bringing In his first coming, he was bringing peace for men and women who are well-pleasing to God, that is, those who would accept him as Savior and or for the Jewish people as their king, which we know that they did not. They rejected him. They were speaking primarily of a very personal, individual application of God's peace that grows out of a firsthand knowledge of the Prince of Peace, Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, offers peace from God to all who receive his grace. He gives you peace with God, Romans 5:1, when you repent of your sin and surrender to him through faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. And he brings the peace of God, Philippians 4, 7, to those who prayerfully walk, walk daily with him. So, our theme today is peace and i just need to ask you this question do you have god's peace are you at peace with god Um, romans chapter 5 verse 1 talks about that we can have peace with god earlier in romans it said we were the enemies of god Uh, ephesians says we're alienated from god but it's through the lord jesus christ that you and i can have peace with god in other words We're no longer enemies, but we're family. And that takes place by us receiving Christ as our Savior, believing that he died for our sins because we're all sinners, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and what he's done for us is the only way that you and I can have peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the peace that you offer people. Father, we're not, you don't tell us that we have to do 10 things to get this peace. We don't have to try to be a better person to get this peace. Um, we don't have to follow the 10 commandments to get this peace. You say that the only way that we can have this peace with you, that we go from being at enmity with you to being in your family and being loved by you, is through your son by believing in who He is and what He's done and what He's accomplished for us, knowing that we're sinners, that we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. The only way that we can be saved is through the blood and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that He was raised from the dead to show that He was able to pay for our sin. And now, Father, He sits at your right hand. And one day he's coming back. First, he's going to come back for his church, and we're going to meet him in the air. And then he's going to come back to earth, and he's going to set up the kingdom that you promised throughout all of the Old Testament. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He is the eternal father, and he is the prince of peace. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. We praise you now in his wonderful name. Amen.